Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. This week is, uh, in fact, Friday morning, yesterday morning, I guess Saturday morning, I was sitting up in a tree watching the sunrise, and the Lord just he convicted me. You know, some of us have been guilty, and I've been one of them, who's been really quick to point out how hard things have been and how glad we're going to be when we get through this year and how long 2020's been. And you know, the truth is God has been good to us. God's been good to me. And we love to whine and gripe and complain about anything that happens. And, and you know, we see it on the news. You know what's going to happen? As soon as the election's over, there's going to be half the country griping about what happened and half the country that's happy about it. And then the next day, they're going to be talking about what's going to happen in two years at the next major election and trying to give us something else to gripe and moan and complain about. You know, the bottom line is, regardless of what happens Tuesday, Regardless of what happens through the rest of 2020, I love what Nathan said, Christ is still king. And I am a child of his kingdom. And I'm as patriotic as anybody else. Y'all know I serve with the police force. I have family as a volunteer chaplain. I have family that is involved in, in, uh, in public service. I've had family that's been involved in the military. And yet... My first citizenship is not in the United States of America. My citizenship resides in an eternal kingdom, in the kingdom of God. So one of these days, one of these days, this nation is going to fall, all nations do. But the kingdom of God will not. It will never fall. It will never fail. It will never end. And so as we continue to move through this week, and it's going to be a crazy week. If, if You don't have to turn on TV to watch the news. If you have a phone that has email or you are on social media, in any way you're going to be inundated with all kinds of craziness, just remember who's in control. Jesus is king and he's on the throne. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. I thank you for the message today of the proofs that Jesus lays out about who he is and how he is who he says he is. Lord, I pray that we would understand and and our faith would grow deeper. But Lord, also that you would touch us through the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have a, a, a poem that I want to read to you. This was originally a poem and it was later turned into a country song by Kenny Rogers. Many of you will know the story or know the poem. Some of you may not. The poem says, a little boy in a baseball hat stands in the field with his ball and bat. Says, I'm the greatest player of them all. Puts his bat on his shoulder and he tosses up the ball. And the ball goes up and then the ball comes down. He swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The ball falls to the ground. Now the little boy doesn't say a word, picks up his ball, he is undeterred. Says, I am the greatest there has ever been. And he grits his teeth and he tries it again. And the ball goes up, then the ball comes down. 
swings his bat all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground. He makes no excuses. He shows no fears. He just closes his eyes and listens to the cheers. A little boy in a baseball hat, he picks up his ball and he stares at his bat. He says, I'm the greatest the game has ever seen. I'm the greatest. The game is on the line. Sorry. And he gives his all one last time. And the ball goes up like the moon so bright, swings his bat with all his might. And the world's so still, as still as can be. And the baseball falls, and that's strike three. You know, it's supper time, and his mama calls. Little boy starts home with his bat and ball. Says, I'm the greatest, and that's a fact. But even I didn't know I could pitch like that. I love that story because it reminds me of me as a little boy. Thought I could do anything. But, you know, it speaks to, I tell that story to kind of launch us into the first challenging passage that we have in the text today. John chapter 5, verse 31 through 47. And Jesus says something in John 5:31 that initially causes me to stumble over his words a little bit. Jesus says, if I give testimony to something, my testimony is not true. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, because later on Jesus says, if I say it, it's true. If I testify about it, it's truth. We know Jesus is the truth. So what's he saying here? Well, let's make sure we keep this in context, because what Jesus is, is pointing out here is that a testimony of one person was not immediately accepted as truth in a courtroom. It required the testimony of two or more, and we'll see that in a little bit. But what what Jesus is, is going to do here in John chapter 5, verse 31 through 47, is he kind of sets up a courtroom scene, so to speak. Now, he's already been using the language of the court in verses 28, 29, and 30 when he talks about how his father has made him a judge and that uh, he is, uh, he's been given the right to judge for life and death over everyone. And so the language shifts a little bit here because now he's no longer speaking as the judge, he's speaking as a witness to who he is as the son of God. And then he's going to lay out these four witnesses that point to him as the Lord. And then we're going to talk about the impact of that, whether or not you believe those witnesses. But the, let's go ahead and read the text and then we'll jump into the first point. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies about me, and I know the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you might be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you might have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come into my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you accept him. 
How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses. If you believe Moses, uh, on your accuser is Moses, I'm sorry, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? So he kind of begins and ends dealing with this issue of how the testimony of one person is not necessarily accepted. And I want to spend just a, a, a little bit of time on that because we recognize that to be truth. See, sometimes we have a, we, we misjudge ourselves. We have an unhealthy opinion of ourselves. Sometimes we, we see ourselves as the center of the world, we see ourselves too highly. Sometimes we see ourselves too lowly, so to speak. We tend to misjudge our own value and, and who we are. And because of that, the testimony that you say about yourself is not necessarily true. I'll give you a good example of that. Uh, as a young boy, I believed that I had an incredible voice, that I was going to grow up and be a wonderful singer. I learned how to sing when I was about four years old. My favorite song I first began to sing was The Eyes of Texas. I loved that song, the school song for the University of Texas. I sang it over and over and over. I loved to hear myself sing. When I got into third grade, uh, moved to a new elementary school and we had a tryouts for choir. And I knew I was just gonna blow it out of the water. So I went and sang my very best rendition of America the Beautiful. And the choir teacher recommended I get into band. <laughs> I was convinced I could sing. I just knew I had a great voice. But the testimony of others that heard me sing, and the problem is I'm still hearing this same testimony. Matthew has given me the same testimony. He's told me I can't sing. And uh, he's not even here to defend himself, but he would be saying <laughs> yes. Oftentimes we can misjudge ourselves. And so the testimony of, that you have about yourself is not necessarily regarded that highly. And then the other side of that is sometimes people just flat lie about themselves. They'll say that there's something they're not. And, and we see that with human beings all the time. And so you have to put yourself in the position of these Jewish leaders whom Jesus is speaking to, who don't believe he is who he says he is. And, and he could shout, all day long, he could say, I'm the king. He could say, I'm from heaven. He could describe the glories of heaven to him. He could lay it all out and they still wouldn't believe him because it was just his word about who he is. And so he says there, you're not gonna believe me when I speak about myself. He says it in verse 31 and he says it down there in verse 47. So Jesus is gonna lay out for them four witnesses. He's gonna give them four who testify that he is the son of God, that he is who he says he is. So you begin there in verse 30, 33. The first witness to, to Jesus as the son of God is John the Baptist. And, and he tells them, he said, you even sent messengers to hear John's testimony. Now, you know, John the Baptist first gave witness or bore witness that Jesus was the son of God before he was even born. While he was still in the womb, Mary went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, and uh, 
while she was there, when she first walked in, the scripture says that John leapt in Elizabeth's womb because he recognized the Spirit of God who was indwelling the Son of God who was inside Mary's womb. What an incredible testimony. Now, these Pharisees didn't know that, but we have it recorded. We have the witness of, of Mary and Elizabeth about what happened inside their wombs. What, a, what better picture for us even as we walk through this election season, that there is life in the womb. That that baby in the womb is more than a conglomerate of some group of cells. That that baby truly is a human being. And in this case, the baby John the Baptist recognized the baby Jesus inside the wombs of their mother. John the Baptist began to bear witness early on, but watch what happens. John the Baptist was respected to some extent by the religious leaders as a prophet of someone who was proclaiming the repentance and, and, and turn, preaching that, that there need to be repentance of sin and, and a turn toward God. And, and these leaders respected John the Baptist enough that they sent a group of men, they sent some of their leaders out to listen to John. And so in verse 33, he says, you even sent messengers to John. And what did John tell the messengers? That Jesus was the Son of God. As soon as John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. In another place, he says, I, I'm not even worthy to, un, to, to untie or to tie his sandals. John recognized in Jesus when he comes to John and asked to be baptized by John. John said, Whoa, wait a minute. You ought to be baptizing me. You're greater than I am. And so John the Baptist bore testimony, bore witness that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, what happened? These Jewish leaders were accepting that testimony for a time. In fact, that's what you see there in verse 34. He says, I don't receive human testimony, but 34 and 35, so that these things, I say these things that you might be saved. Now, we're going to come back to that at the end of the message. Verse 35, he says, John was a burning and shining lamp. And you, who, in whom you were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. See, John the Baptist was a burning, shining light that they were willing to rejoice in his light right up until he said the wrong thing. And, and as soon as John the Baptist began to give testimony that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, that Jesus was the Messiah, all of a sudden, John the Baptist is persona non grata with the leaders. You were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. So the first witness that we have is the forerunner, John the Baptist, a prophet who had come from God. The second witness that we have, Jesus says in verse 36, is his very works. He says, I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. And Jesus says, if you just look at my life, at what I am accomplishing, they point to the fact that I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. What were some of those works? Well, some of the greatest works we've just seen. A man that had been lame for 38 years picked up his mat and walked into the temple, carrying his mat with him. And of course, what did the Jewish leaders do when they saw the great miracle, this great work of God that nobody else could do? They said, uh-oh, he did it on the Sabbath day. We gotta get him. And, and Jesus, time and again, they're gonna see these great works of God. Some of them we haven't, in, in the timeline of John, we haven't gotten to yet. 
You're going to see the feeding of the 5,000 men plus whatever women and children are there with a few loaves and a few bread. You're going to see Jesus walk on water. The most amazing one to me, and I know I've mentioned this before, and as I walk through John, you're going to hear me mention it several times because this just absolutely blows my mind. The Jewish leaders received the direct testimony. Some of them were direct witnesses of Jesus calling Lazarus out of the grave four days after he died. And how did they respond? They didn't believe. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They saw him as a threat and said, we got to get rid of him now. We can't have him raising people from the dead. What greater miracle can you have? Oh, oh, wait a minute. There is a greater miracle. There's another one coming. Because not long after he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus himself died on a cross, beaten to death, nailed to the cross, left there to bleed and die, was wrapped up by one of their own in grave clothes and stuck in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he came back to life. So not only do we see the, the miracles, the works of Jesus in, in bringing sight to the blind, causing the deaf to speak, the lame to walk, raising people from the dead, he himself comes up out of the grave. And they still refuse to believe the Father's works. We've got two witnesses now. You've got John the Baptist as a witness, and you've got the works that the Father had given Jesus to do. Not just once, but over and over and over and over and over, Jesus performing miracles right before their eyes. And then third, you've got the Father himself. Now, this one's a little bit tougher, but he says here, the Father who sent me himself has testified about me. You haven't heard his voice at any time. You haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you. You don't believe the one that he has sent. How did the father himself testify about Jesus and who, he's, who he is or who he, that he is who he said he was? Well, first and foremost, when Jesus was baptized, all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record an audible voice from heaven. Two of them say, you are my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. One of the gospel writers records it as, as he is my son in whom I, in whom I am well pleased. I believe, whether God said both of them, it doesn't matter. I think he probably did. He, he spoke from heaven with an audible voice. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And certainly there were those there that heard it. There were those who recorded it that had to have been reported back to the Jewish leadership. And some of their own might have even been there. And so you have the testimony of the father himself from heaven. Say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And they don't believe it. They refuse to believe. In addition to that, he says, you don't have his word in your hearts. Well, wait a minute. These are the religious leaders who have studied God's word intently. They've memorized large portions of scripture. They've memorized even commentaries on large portions of scripture. These great leaders of God's people, Jesus says, you don't even know who I am because you don't have the spirit of my father. You don't have his word residing in you. 
You tell me that you can even, you can memorize scripture, you can be that religious, you can be that committed with all of your life and completely miss God? Yes? I believe you can stand in a pulpit and preach for years and decades and still miss God. God the Father spoke to them, revealed to them who he was. Now, not all the Pharisees and all the religious leaders missed it. Nicodemus is a prime example. One of the first stories in the Gospel of John is a story of one of these Jewish leaders who comes to Jesus in the night and humbles himself and calls Jesus teacher, rabbi, and presents himself to Jesus and begins to ask Jesus about how how he can come into the kingdom and what's required. Why? Well, I think it's a very simple difference. His heart was soft enough that it was open to hear the voice of God. There are some who've already made up their mind and it doesn't matter how much evidence, how many witnesses, how much testimony they receive, They've made up their mind that they are not going to accept, they're either not going to believe or they're not going to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. And these religious, many of these religious Pharisees were among that group. And then fourth, and this is closely connected, especially with the issue for the Pharisees, is Jesus says, you have the witness of Scripture especially the scripture of Moses, which they would have held to the highest of standards, the the first five books of the Bible. You pour over the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures you have life, but the scriptures point to me. Scripture is the most important testimony for us about Jesus. But you can pour over the scriptures. You can spend hours in scriptures day and night. You can memorize theology. You can write books about it. But unless your heart is softened to be receptive to the truth about who Jesus is, unless you're softened by the Spirit of God, you will never be open to receive what scripture says. So there are people in our world today who are just like these Pharisees who refuse to accept the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture about who Jesus is is, is, is incredible. It, it, it is seemingly undeniable. I, I want to give you one example because there's, there's at least a dozen, there's more than a dozen prophecies of the Old Testament that give predictions about the, the birth of Christ, what took place around his birth, let alone all of the other scriptures that, that prophecies that point to other things in his life. So I want to give you one about his birth. Imagine you could predict right now, or, or say when you're 30 years old, you could predict where your grandchild would be born, what city your grandchild would be born in. Some of you might be able to guess that. You know, maybe you've got a child that doesn't move around a lot. But in our mobile society, that, that might not be that easy. But you're, you're trying to predict something uh, that's 15, 20 years down the road. Now try to predict where your great-grandchild would be born and the sex that they're going to be, what gender they're going to be. So now you're trying to predict something that's more like 
40 years out, maybe 50 years out. Now try to predict where your great-great-grandchild's gonna be born. Where your grand, your great-grandkid's gonna be in 70 years when they give birth to your great-great-grandchild. What city, what locale are they gonna be born in? Now what about your great-great-great-great-grandchild? Imagine you're able to predict 25 generations down the line, about 700 years forward, the exact location where your great, 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 and I'm not even gonna go there, grandchild would be born. Micah chapter five, verse two, predicted 700 years, about 720 years before Jesus was born, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now put that together with the idea that he was also, after he was born, was gonna come out of Egypt. How was that gonna happen? And yet, scripture clearly predicted the birthplace of Christ 720 years in advance. Scripture testified that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and I believe that the witness of Scripture is overwhelming that Jesus is who he says he is. And even today, the testimony of Scripture bears out for us this truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one true God. He is the only one who can give us eternal life. He is the only one who bears life in himself. Scripture bears that out. And the Pharisees missed it. How can you miss it? How can you see the historical evidence and pair it with the biblical evidence as well as the internal evidence of the transformed lives that you see in this world? How can you take all of those witnesses and, and all of that evidence and miss Jesus? I think there's a couple ways that we do that. One is we don't want to know. You ever go to scripture and you really don't get anything out of it, but the reason is you don't want to know what Scripture has to say about your circumstance or about your own heart. I think sometimes we miss it because we don't want to hear what Scripture has to say. And I believe that that's exactly where the Pharisees were. Their hearts were not soft and open to be receptive to the witness of John the Baptist. They liked to hear what John the Baptist said right up until he said the wrong thing. And see, we like to hear what Scripture says right up until it says the wrong thing, as far as we're concerned. Jesus gives them four witnesses. John the Baptist, the works, the miracles that he was doing right before their eyes, the testimony of the Father, and the testimony of their own scripture that they poured over for years. I want to pause here for just a moment because there's something that I think that's crucial for us. The, the Pharisees, in a lot of ways, had elevated rules and regulations, scripture, the law. They had elevated their religion above what God desired, and that was to walk in a relationship with his people. I'm afraid that we oftentimes can be guilty of elevating our religion above what God most desires. And, and let me illustrate it this way. 
Scripture is, and I've already said this, it is the most crucial, the most important witness that we have that Jesus is who he says he is. Henry Blackaby gives four different ways that we can know the will of God. He talks about, uh, when, uh, first, Scripture as the foundational, because Scripture is the only objective truth that we have. Blackaby also says that God will speak to you and can speak to you during your personal prayer time. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe God speaks and can lead us and guide us through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. God also can speak to us through circumstances in our life. You hear people talk about open doors, closed doors. It's a whole lot more than that. You can look back in your life and you can see in your testimony how God did this and God did this and God did this and God did this. And, and you can see God leading you a particular direction oftentimes. And then fourth, he talks about how God can, can speak to us through other people, whether it's through uh, someone preaching God's word or the teaching of God's word or through a brother or sister in Christ or through your parents or whatever it happens to be. God can speak in our lives through other people. But three of those are pretty subjective. Your personal prayer life, what other people have to say, or your, your interpretation of events in your life. And so I will tell people, if anybody comes up to me and says, you know, I was praying the other day and God told me to do so-and-so. If so-and-so does not line up with God's word, I'll just look him in the eye and say, no, he didn't. God did not tell you to do something that goes against his word. I, I don't care who else, what anybody has told you. Scripture has to be that foundation. And yet, Scripture is not the end all in this way. We live in a, in a culture sometimes in, in our Baptist life where scripture gets elevated to a position of worship. I'll call it bibliolatry, where we hold scripture up to such an extent that it's almost as though we're worshiping scripture and not worshiping the God to whom scripture points. Scripture points to Jesus. Scripture will point you to a personal relationship with him. And if you come, to, come away from Scripture and you are not walking in a relationship with Christ, there's something going on in your heart that has closed your heart off to the truth of God's Word. Because if you come to God's Word with the right heart, it will always, always, always point you to Jesus. And the Pharisees failed there because they went to Scripture hoping that they would find life in Scripture. And Jesus says, the only place you're going to find life is in my name. Scripture points to Jesus. And God's desire for us is that we might walk in that relationship with him. Scripture is our foundation. Scripture is our objective truth. But God wants to speak to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to lead you and guide you because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Where does all of this matter? We've got these four objective witnesses as well as Jesus' testimony about who he, says he, uh, who he says he is. Well, here's the bottom line. Where you come down on the veracity of these witnesses, what you believe the verdict is, is critical. Which side are you going to come down on? Because look in verse 34 again. Back up in verse 34, Jesus says, I say these things so that you might be saved. These religious men, in all of their religion, in all of their studies, were lost in their own sin and they needed to be saved. 
These guys needed the forgiveness that only God could give them that could only come through Christ and they didn't even know it. And so Jesus says, I'm going to tell you these things. Why? So that you might be saved. This is why it's so critical. This is why it's so important. How you decide based on, even if it's just based on these four witnesses, the testimony of John the Baptist, the testimony of, of the works of Jesus, the testimony of God the Father himself, even as the Father is speaking in your heart, and the testimony of Scripture. Where you come down on that is critical for whether or not you'll receive forgiveness from Christ and salvation for your soul. That's why it is so critical that you evaluate the truth that Jesus has presented here and make a decision. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the Savior? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Jesus lays out the evidence in front of these religious leaders and he says, I'm telling you these things so that you might be saved. You know they're going to look him in the face and say, wait a minute, what do you mean us be saved? We're the ones who are judging you. We're the religious leaders. You're just the young pup. But Jesus says, look at it, look. Pay attention. All of these things help you understand that I'm the Messiah. And I'm telling you, and this goes right along with the theme of the Gospel of John. You remember what the theme of the Gospel of John was? John says there's a lot more things that I could write down in this book. But these I've written so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by knowing that you might believe in him that you might have eternal life. He's given us this so that we might know and we might have eternal life. And then second, down in verse 40, Jesus says, but you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. You're religious. You study scripture. You claim to be of the Father. But you're unwilling to come to me so that you might have life. See, there's only life in one name. There's only eternal life in one name, and that's the name of Jesus. There is life in no other name. There's not eternal life found in philosophy. There's no eternal life found in religion, in secular humanism. There's no eternal life to be found in politics. There's no life to be found in Muhammad or in Buddha, there is one name that you can come to and find eternal life, and that's the name of Jesus. And he said, you are unwilling to come to me so that you could have life. So ultimately, rejection of this fourfold witness, rejection of this very truth that Jesus is who he says he is, results in loss of forgiveness. Essentially, you're rejecting the forgiveness that God is offering you, and you're rejecting eternal life. So if you look at the evidence that's been presented today, whether you're here in the congregation or you're, you're listening or watching online through the streaming, if you look at all the evidence that Scripture gives us, that the Father gives us, that Jesus' works give us, that John the Baptist gave us, you can look at all of that evidence and say, you know what, I just don't, I can't go there, I don't believe it. I don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I don't believe Jesus died for my sin. I don't believe that Jesus rose again. If you can look at the evidence and say, 
I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to put my life in his hands. What you've done is you've rejected the forgiveness that's offered by Christ and you've rejected the gift of eternal life. And, and God has presented that gift to you. He's offering you this gift of salvation. He's offering you this gift of forgiveness. He's laid out the case and said, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you can be saved. And if you personally choose, I don't believe or I don't care, then you walk away from God and you have rejected that incredible gift. It's been said for centuries, I, I imagine. I know I've heard it throughout my lifetime. The question raised, how could a good and loving God condemn anyone to die in their sin and go to hell? Well, here's the bottom line. God doesn't. God has given us all of this evidence. He's given us all of this truth. He sent his son as a gift so that we wouldn't have to. God has reached out to us and offered us an incredible gift of forgiveness and an incredible gift of eternal life. And if we reject that offer, it's on us. It's not on him. And so I want to give you that opportunity. If you, if you have never put your faith in Christ, if you have never come and said, I believe, I believe that what God says is true. I believe he is the son of God. I've been rejecting him. I've been pushing him back. Maybe you've never heard, but you believe today that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for you and that, that he came to save you and to offer you life. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to hear from you. We're not doing the, a, a traditional invitation at front until this COVID stuff is over. But if you're, if you're watching us online, reach out through fbcwataga.org slash connect or slash prayer, either one of those places. Reach out to us, ask us to pray for you or tell us how you'd like to connect with us. If you're here, come, come find me after the service. We can sit down in my office. If, if you don't have time today, get in touch with me so that we can meet this week. This is crucial. This is critical. What you do with this evidence that Jesus is the Son of God is critical for eternal life. So don't let this day pass. If you're not certain that you have, you're walking in that relationship with the living God, make sure that you get that settled this day, this week. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you were encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.